Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 through 41. It is found in your bulletins and is also projected overhead. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No. They answered, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one that is coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held high in high honor. Many of those who believe now continue and openly confess their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I had been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province a little while longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines for Artemis, brought in, little, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you can see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in particularly the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made goods, man-made gods, are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. 
When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon, the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the, into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some shouted one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense for the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk cried at the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed their goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of these events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion, for there is no reason for it. After he said this, he, he dismissed the assembly. So ends the first reading of the Lord. Thank you, Derek. That was a good reading. That was a long, good reading. I like to, I like to haze my blood with this. Thank you for that. Um, I like to start off by giving thanks. Um, scripture says that this is the will of the Lord to give thanks in all circumstances. And we give thanks weekly for three things that help grow our church. So one thing I'm thankful for is your giving. Thank you so much for your uh, giving. We have an online giving option. Do we have that link? Yeah, carolynprez.com slash donate. Um, so that's one way you can support us. I also like to give thanks for uh, uh, Kleenexes this week. Um, that's a weird thing to give thanks for. But one of the, um, I'm going to add a fourth thing I'm going to give thanks for on a regular basis, four things to help grow our church. And that fourth thing is healing. And we see in this scripture and that Paul blessed um, handkerchiefs, and people took them, and they were healed. So while we're practicing social distancing, uh, I was thinking about a good way to promote healing in our church, and I thought, well, each communion Sunday, I can bless handkerchiefs, or Kleenexes, as the case may be. You can take one and pray over your loved ones or your relatives and see what happens. We believe in science as Christians. But we also believe that God can move in miraculous ways, and that's a way to promote healing while also maintaining social distancing. So please, after the service, I'll have some of the Kleenexes, and please come and take one. If you are in need of healing or know anyone else of need of healing, and do as the scripture says. Pray over them with the Kleenex and see what happens. It couldn't hurt. It's just a Kleenex, and they're sanitary because they were made by a good, a good company. Well, one reason I um, had the first reading is because um, 
the book of, we're reading, reading the letter, letter to Ephesians, and we're talking about the armor of God in this passage. And the book of Acts talks about Paul's experience in Ephesus when he underwent a riot. And I thought, well, this seems to be where he got the idea of putting on the full armor of God. Because if you're being threatened to be killed, you might just need the armor of God. And so I wanted to connect the book of Acts and what it says about what happened in Ephesus with what the Bible says about the armor of God today. And that's our second reading. Um, so listen for um, the word of the Lord for you from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 19. Listen for the word of God to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray for the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would endow us today with the full armor of God. No doubt we don't need to fight every day, but there are days that we need to fight for our faith. And we may, we may, we pray that in that fight you may make us peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, O oh God. Lord, any words that I say that are not of your will, I ask that they fall to the ground and be forgotten. But whatever I say that is of your will, I ask that embed in hearts and bear good fruit unto the kingdom of God. Lord, let us not hinder your word, but feed your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. So my wife and I are big fans of the uh, Netflix show Tidying Up with the Marie Kondo. Maybe some of you know it, maybe some of you don't. It's basically a Japanese consultant that goes into people's homes and helps them tidy up their homes. And her method is the Marie Kondo method, which she basically says, she wants to, you, you touch an item, and if the item sparks joy, then you, you keep it. And if it doesn't spark joy, you end up getting rid of it or giving it away. It's a great method for tidying up your home, but not a great method for dealing with people. I just have to say that if you touch a person and they don't spark joy in you, and you're just going to throw them away, that's not a super great method. But she gets to a good point, right? She gets to a good point that we need to sort things out. That we need to sort through our lives what is good and what is bad in our lives. And often those tend to be really mixed up in our lives. And 
we see that example in the riot of Ephesus, that Paul is writing the armor of God, not in a vacuum, but from his own personal experience of spiritual warfare, as he experienced in Ephesus. So every one of the people who are reading it would know, oh yeah, he's talking about that riot, and we need to put on the full armor of God. And the good news today is this, when we stop being divided, God will draw us to the table and heal our wounds. When we stop being divided, God will draw us to the table and heal our wounds. You know, the interesting thing, if you read the book of Acts, is basically people are rioting over miracles. People are rioting over the power of God being manifest in their community. And that just shows us that preaching the gospel of power can have different reactions depending on who's listening and what they think of it. I'll give you two modern examples of different reactions of preaching the gospel in power. C. Peter Wagner is a famous um, missionary, and he wrote the commentary, the Book of Acts and Commentary. And he tells of a modern example of a healing using a handkerchief. Wagner tells the story of William Kimuni. This is Nigerian. How do we pronounce it? Kimuni? Uh, never mind, I'll look it up later. <laughs> Pastor of Deeper Light Bible Church in Lagos, Nigeria. I hoping my Nigerian friends could help me with the pronunciation. Kumui. 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 I got it, I got it this time. And he tells about a, this pastor told about a healing that occurred in one of his churches in uh, 1993 when part of the usual weekly program in all of the 4,500 Deeper Life Bible churches is a Thursday night miracle meeting. On one of those nights, the pastor of an outlying church felt led to invite all those who had sick people at home to hold their handkerchiefs, and he prayed a blessing of God's healing power upon them. They were to return home, place the handkerchief on the sick person, and pray healing in Jesus' name. He was unaware that the chief of a nearby Muslim village was visiting his church that night, the first time he had ever attended a Christian service. Although the Muslim did not have a sick person at home, he also raised his handkerchief to receive a blessing. Soon after the chief returned to his village, a nine-year-old girl died, and he went to her home to attend the wake just before the burial. While there, he suddenly remembered the handkerchief retrieved it, placed it on the corpse, and prayed that she would be healed in Jesus' name. Then God did an obviously unusual miracle and raised the girl from the dead. The chief called an immediate ad hoc meeting with the village elders who witnessed what happened, then turned around and declared to the people, for many years we served Mohammed, but from this moment on our village will be a village of Jesus. Needless to say, a deeper life Bible church is now thriving in that village. So, amen, Grace be, thanks be to God for that. And that is an example of the gospel working in power, bringing, bringing people together. But the same gospel working in power can tear people apart, depending on how they react to it. Uh, I found another commentary with William H. Willimon on Acts, and he says this, The new pastor became concerned about the problem of illegal beer and wine sales to minors in the community. 
After a sermon on responsibility of the church to protect the young, a crusade was launched to clean up the town and to prosecute those businesses violating the law on alcohol sales to minors. Good? No. Bad. How was the young pastor to know that one of the most prominent members of his church owned the convenience store across from the town's high school? He is now the former pastor. So that's an example of the gospel being preached in power, not working out too well for the person preaching it. And that they are using this as an analogy to the silversmiths, feeling that their business was threatened. But we don't act, I think it's more of a parable of what happens to pastors a lot of the time, but in that particular situation, we don't know exactly the details. Maybe the business owner um, did all of what was legally required and he couldn't check fake IDs that well. Maybe it wasn't his fault and maybe he felt insulted by a sermon that was not tailored to his particular needs. And so they would need to sort through that situation. And that is the key is sorting through the facts of the matter. And in the riot at Ephesus, the person who did that was the clerk, right? The clerk of the town sorted through all the facts of the matter and said, well, if you want to do this, you've got to go to court. You've got to sort through the facts of the matter. Now, in our society, we're experiencing a lot of division. How do we sort through that division to find the truth about what's going on? Well, some, some notes on the, on the armor of God, real quick. To put on the armor of God, we need to have the belt of truth, which holds the armor together. And in our society, I think that would mean spending about equal amounts of time listening to different news sources and trying to discern the commonalities of what's true in those news sources. Then there's the breastplate of righteousness, and because God vindicated Jesus, we can be sure that God will never leave us nor forsake us, even if we're in the wrong. Sometimes we will be in the wrong. It's going to happen. But because God vindicated Jesus, we don't need to feel bad about when we get it wrong. We don't need to feel bad about when we get it wrong. We can have confidence that God will forgive us and he will work all things together for the good for those who love God and are ordaining unto his purposes. The shield of faith stops fiery arrows of accusation from harming us. When we come up with an idea, right, when we, when we speak out, we might be accused of not speaking out in good faith. And maybe we are, maybe we aren't, but we, maybe we believe we truly are speaking out in good faith. And we don't want the fiery accusations of the devil to stop us from speaking out for what we believe to be right. So we need to have the shield of faith to know that God can equip. If God calls the equipped, he doesn't equip the call. God calls the, God calls the equipped, he equips the call, he doesn't call the equipped. I'm sorry, I got that phrase wrong there. So God, he calls us, and in our calling, he will equip us for our calling. We don't need to feel equipped before we set out on every journey, before we set out on every sermon, before we set out on every job. He calls the He will equip the call. If he has called you to speak up about something, he will equip you to do it. And just trust God and take it step by step. Shoes for the gospel of peace. The gospel should promote peace 
it should not promote division. And you need to wear whatever shoes you need. May those be military boots, nice shoes, slippers to sit by a fire with someone and have a nice fireside chat. Who knows? Whatever shoes you need to promote peace are the shoes you wear. No one ever looks at a man's shoes, but we need to think of what shoes we need to wear to promote peace. Because if the shoe fits, wear it. Well, if the shoe helps you promote peace, you wear it. So whatever helps you promote peace, that's what you do. Finally, the sword of the Spirit is the message of the gospel. In particular, in Ephesians, it's that God reconciled warring parties. It never really works very well to just throw a Bible verse at someone and say, that's why I'm right. That's not how it works. That's not how it works when you're trying to promote peace. But what, what Ephesians shows us is that God reconciled two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, who were at each other's throats. They wanted to kill each other, and God reconciled them through the word that said that I died for all of you. I died for all of you, so it's time to calm down and come to the table. It's time to calm down and come to the table. How I think this would work out in our society, and this is just an idea from left field that I really like. Um, Brett Henning is a PhD in astrophysics and is founder of the Sortition Foundation, which advocates for randomly selecting people to serve in legislative chambers. Now, I know this sounds like a crazy idea, but we, we know in scripture, whenever people had a hard decision, like who to replace for Judas, the disciple who betrayed Judas, they cast lots. Whenever they couldn't make a decision, whenever they were divided about a decision, they cast lots and let, left it up to providence, or to fate, or to chance. So I think it's a scriptural position that when you're in a divided society, what you basically need to do is have a lottery to elect people to legislative chambers. So what it would work like is basically we would have our current chambers, and then we would have another chamber, a people's house, a people's senate, where people would be selected by lottery to serve for certain amounts of terms, and they would get paid equally what senators and house of representatives would be paid, and that would hopefully bring a lot of people with everyday experience to our government to solve problems, to bring people together, to bring people to the table. We want a government for the people, by the people, and it's about time that we had that government. It's about time that we put our, our money where our mouth is and we select people randomly to serve in a chamber of government, and that will require a constitutional amendment. It will require a lot. I admit that it will require a lot, but if you think about it, it's the only long-term solution that's going to work. It's the only long-term solution. And I know a lot of you here, a lot of you are brilliant, amazing people, and you would do well in a chamber like that. I know you would. I know you would. But a lot of us aren't going to win an election. A lot of us aren't going to win an election because it's a popularity contest. And democracy is more than a popularity contest. It is that. We want to have officials who we believe in, but we also want to have representative government. And the only way you do that is by having a lottery system. 
Now that may be a crazy idea, but in our, maybe we need crazy ideas that people haven't thought about to bring people together in such a time as this. And I've been thinking about this guy for years, and it's not as crazy as I once thought. And the point, though, is not to have you agree with me. The point is to have you think differently about what the armor of God is, about what will bring us together. Because the armor of God is, the sword of the Spirit is a double-edged sword, right? Cutting soul from spirit, dividing flesh from marrow, is designed to cut through all what's going on in our culture and bring us to the table. Bring us to the table. Because God spent all the power in the universe not to win an election, but to build a table. Think about that. The, the, this is what Dan White says about the power of the table. Just fathom for a moment that God, who speaks of word and planetary systems come into existence, parts the Red Sea as a combing bedhead and makes the blind see with the simple touch of the finger, is willing to sit and still at a messy at a table with messy, clumsy, irritating, and hypocritical people just step into the space, into the table space with purpose. It is where his activity is. God, when he came to earth and rose from the dead, what did he do? What did he do after he rose from the dead? He built a table. He built a table for all of us. So let us come to the table in our homes, in our country, in our, in our lives, to reconcile with each other. You know, Proverbs 16, verse 33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So let us cast our lot today with the God of miracles with the God of unity over division, the God of love over fear. We can do it together in this church. It can be the beginning of a great revival. Because the God who made the universe, the God who made the universe, whose government is on his shoulders, what did he do? What did he do? He didn't win an election. He built a table, and it's time that we come to the table. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand and sing the hymn, Let Us Break Bread Together, on page 513.